Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Listen, I want you to remember, anytime you have anxiety, that is not God's will for you. Do not be anxious. Be not anxious for anything, Paul instructs. But in all things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Jesus says, do not be anxious for what you will eat, drink, or wear. Verse 32, because this is what the world does. The world carries anxiety. We are the most medicated and yet the most miserable people in all of the world. And listen, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with medication. My little girl has seizure medications that she takes twice a day, every day, and we're believing God for no seizure for two years so that we can begin to wean that baby off of that medicine and her be healthier than she was before she was ever messed with. However, I'm saying that to say, okay, I would be a hypocrite to say, don't you take medicine, don't you listen to doctors, but I'm here to tell you today that there's no medicine available by man that can minister to you where only God can, what he has created you to be. Anxiety cannot be fixed with a pill. It can only be fixed by our creator and the savior and the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it can't be helped, but medication is not our answer to anxiety. I'm not saying that it's not a real issue and that you should go throw your stuff away this afternoon. Please do not do that. I'm saying there are some things, there are some prescriptions, hear my heart today, that only the person of the Holy Spirit can fill. There are some prescriptions that only the person of the Holy Spirit can fill. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. So don't be anxious, but seek first, first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we concern ourselves with and give ourselves fits over, all of these things shall be added unto you. So last week, I gave you three first, four first, actually. I'm just going to recap them quickly. Number one, we are to align our priorities, okay? God must be first. In fact, I want you to write that down. God must be first. And I know you don't like to do it because I don't like it when preachers do it to me, but I just want you to declare this to yourself. I want you to say it with me out loud. Are you ready? God must be first. One more time, just so the enemy can hear all the way in the pit. God must be first. You declared that over yourself. You stated it. It is a biblical truth that if it does not happen, then nothing else will be in line in your life. God must be first. We need to align our priorities. Number two, we need to align our relationships. We need to align our relationships. I cannot allow anyone to come in between my relationship with Jesus. But listen, when I do not love as God commands me to love, 
when I do not serve as God calls me to serve, and when I do not forgive as Christ has forgiven me. Are you with me? Let me say that again. When I do not love as God has given me the ability to love, commanded me to love, when I do not serve as he has called me to serve others and not myself, and when I do not forgive as God has forgiven me, then I allow people to come in between my relationship with Jesus, and they are the ceiling on what God can use me to do because they are in between me and him. Our relationships must be brought into line with Christ. Number three, we must align our authorities. And this is just a simple power statement that you could write down on your refrigerator and never forget. We cannot assume. We cannot assume when God has given us authority. We cannot just assume that everything's going to work out. Assume that everything's going to be okay. Assume that our children are going to live for Jesus. Assume that the anxiety is going to go away. Assume that exposing our children to the things of the world is going to clear itself out. We cannot assume that God is in control when he has given us authority in the name of Jesus to speak over those things. To intentionally verbalize and take that authority. To bind that strong man, as we learned about last week. And whatever form he tries to come in, the enemy is a formidable foe for you. But he doesn't stand a chance at the name of Jesus. He doesn't have an opportunity in Jesus' name. He's already been overcome. But we must operate in that authority and stop assuming that everything's going to be okay. Number four, I believe. This is where we ended last week. We need to align our heart. Align our heart. It wasn't very long ago. Uh, I love to listen to my children's conversations, especially when they don't know that I'm listening. Come on, somebody. That's a good time when they don't realize that daddy's listening. Kind of like last Sunday when Gabriel didn't realize that daddy was listening to the volunteer dream team worker that was keeping him in the sprouts room telling him, Gabriel, come back here. Come back here. And he burst into the bathroom and he saw me. All of a sudden. When he realized I was listening, he gained an anointing of obedience to the voice by which he was being called. And he returned to that which he was being called in an instant. I didn't even have to say anything. He automatically knew. I love, I love, I love to listen when they do not know. But I, I love even more when I just intentionally have conversations with them. When I'm intentionally planting things into them. And uh, I believe it was a couple of years ago at this point, Emory was four and Adeline was six. And they were having a conversation and, and Megan and I were just trying to plant things in their heart and their mind. And, and so all I wanted to do is I wanted them to understand that Jesus loved them first and foremost. And that daddy loved them almost as much as Jesus. Those are two most important things to me. 
is that they know how much Jesus loves them and how much daddy loves them. And so we were going through this. I said, who loves you more than anybody could ever love you? And they, Jesus, you know, they knew the answer. And then I said, and who loves you as much as, and in the middle of my, in the middle of my declaration for them, Adeline said, hey, that's mine. And they got into this big fight. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that fight, I was like, hey, I'm trying to tell you how much I love you. Take, you know, so as we had this moment, said, I love you. Stop it. Okay? And, she, and then this is what they said. Listen, here's, here's the line that they always use, right, whenever it's not going their way. But I had it. God had your heart before the enemy ever came in and tried to take anything away from you. Your daddy was trying to tell you something on the day that the enemy began to distract you, discourage you, divide you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Give him your heart back because he had it first. Come on, praise him just a little bit today. Isn't he good? We can see that relationship. Today, I want to talk to you about aligning our attitude. This is number five. Jesus, God's word said seven times in his word, and there may be more, but seven times specifically, he said, if you will do this first, this is what will happen. We need to align our attitude. I want you to notice that the heart always comes before the head. See, in Matthew 22, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because if you don't know how much God loves you, you can never love yourself and you don't have the love that your neighbor needs. But then in Matthew 23, Jesus takes it a step further. And he said, it's not just the heart on the inside, but there's also this attitude, this thought life, this cleansing that needs to take place. Not just in Matthew 22, but also in this passage, verse 25 of Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is intense, okay? Listen, I'm with you on this. I'm not preaching at you, okay? I'm sharing my conviction. Somebody else already slapped me with this. I'm just sharing it, okay? For you clean the outside of your house, cup, yard, sorry, clothes, my bad. You put your makeup on. Uh, I'm sorry. You clean, the, you clean up the outside. Your hair looks good, and sometimes your beard does. Outside the cup, it's all cleaned up. And the plate, even what you eat with, looks right in front of other people. Come on, somebody. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. I want you to know this. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Okay? And right now, he's just full of truth in this passage. He's just full of it. Because there was one thing that Jesus never tolerated. And it was hypocrisy and a religious spirit that was more self-righteous than it was Christ-likeness. Pharisee, you hypocrite, you blind Pharisee, watch this, first. Clean the inside of the cup and the plate, watch, and, and then the outside also may be clean. 
when you deal with the inside first, you clean up the inside first, then the outside won't have to be covered up because it will be cleaned up. Listen, hear me, hear me. Self-righteousness and Christ-likeness cannot coexist. Self-righteousness and Christ-likeness cannot coexist. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of people that knew what robes to put on, to knew, know, know what words to say, but they were arrogant before God and man. And Jesus said, you're blind and I can't use you. Because you look right, but you're not righteous. On the outside, it looks like you've got it all together. But I'm not on the inside. Because you're too full of yourself. He's not, not you, them, the Pharisees. Okay. Because we're too full of ourselves. There's no room for Jesus. See, self-righteousness... And Christ-likeness cannot coexist. The scripture says God knows the heart of a man. And the human heart is deceitfully wicked. That even in the day of Isaiah, people would honor God with their lips or their outward appearance. But their heart was far from him. Paul brought up the works of the Christians. That some of us only serve with wood, hay, and stubble because our attitude is not right in the way that we serve. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time where you just shut up and serve and don't worry about what your attitude is. There are times when you just obey and your attitude will follow. But you shouldn't be satisfied with that because that's wood, hay, and stubble. And Paul says we can't present wood, hay, and stubble to Jesus but to be tried by fire because it's going to go up in a puff of smoke. But we are to serve with gold and silver and precious stones. Why? Because when you learn how to align your attitude with Jesus, when you allow Jesus to clean up the inside, when you learn how to serve with gold and silver and precious, precious gems and, and stones, and jewels, the fire that would have consumed your works and caused them to be filthy rags is now a refining fire that can be presented pure before Jesus and Jesus alone. When your attitude is in line with Christ, your works become gold and silver and precious stones in the fire that would have burnt them up and been nothing more than a cloud of smoke is now refined and purified as something worth presenting to a holy and perfect God. But it starts with our attitude. The world measures success by what we have on the outside. The world measures success by how many people come to your church. The world measures success by what you have to wear, what you have to eat, where you have to live, what you have to drive. The world measures success by what's in your bank account and how much you're willing to invest in yourself. But God measures the inside. God measures the inside. He measures our thought life. He measures our purity. 
He measures what we do when nobody else is looking because that is truly who we are. He measures our attitude. And listen, holiness, holiness, holiness is not an outside thing. We must be cleansed on the inside before we are holy on the outside. So listen, if the outside is messed up, I got good news. There's still an option for you today. You can be cleansed and holy on the inside. You can be cleansed and saved and set free from the things that you weren't created to be, put back in line with Jesus, and become everything that God created you to be. Holiness is not an expression of our actions. Our actions are an expression of our holiness. In other words... The inside is not an expression of the outside. The outside is an expression of what's truly on the inside. So if the outside is wrong, Jesus gives an answer. Come to me. Align your attitude with me. Align your attitude with what I have for you. And I will begin to clean up the outside as well. Number six in a two-week message, but for day, just number two. I want you to hear my heart today. Don't get mad at me if you're a guest. Don't get mad at me if you've been hoping you wouldn't hear this message. But number two for today, and I believe vitally important in Western civilization, is that we must align our finances. We must, in Christ, align our finances to God. Deuteronomy chapter 26, always going Old Testament. Yes, I am. I believe, as I said Wednesday night, that the Old Testament and the New Testament are the inspired word of God, and they don't make sense without one another. So Deuteronomy 26 verse 2 says, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground. The first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Now, three weeks ago, I, I, I was arguing with God because, listen, listen, I don't like, because I know how people feel about this stuff. I don't like preaching it. I know that some people will be offended and miss out on God's will for their lives because they disagree with this part of Scripture. They disagree with my interpretation of Scripture. And that's why we don't get up on Sundays and or Wednesdays and simply share our interpretation of Scripture. We get up and we share our personal testimony and our story. Because you can argue with my Scripture, but you can't argue with my story. And we're going to show you a video in a minute in purity and innocence that inspired us all. The Bible says take the first, the first fruits. Now listen, they, had, they harvested crops. Okay? In Scripture, they harvested crops. And we make money. Some of you harvest crops to make money. And I love you and thank you because I love crawfish and I'm learning to like rice. So I love you guys and you ladies. 
You harvest crops, but you harvest crops to make money. And they harvested crops to barter and trade. So God said, I want the first of what you use as a resource to survive. Because I want to bless the rest of the resources that you use to survive. But when you submit the first of the resource, you remember that the only reason that you have anything is because I gave it to you. And this is a personal conviction and a personal practice. So three, almost four weeks ago now, when God kept saying first fruit offering, first fruit offering, and I presented it on a Sunday morning, and I shared a little too much, but I was trying to make it personal because I want to lead the way. I would never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And I said, some of you give faithfully in the first 10%. I'm asking you to join my wife and I in stretching yourself even further and give more than just that. Some of you give just that, and I'm asking you to give in an offering above and beyond that, maybe into the building fund, maybe tithing 10% of your mortgage, maybe into missions or speed the light, tithing 10% of your car note, maybe into the vision for the future of this church, tithing 10% of your cable bill, whatever it is that is in the way of what God could be using our finances to accomplish, when we give him back the first, we say, God, I understand the only reason I have this and this thing is not evil, but if I love this and value this more than I love and value you, then it's in the way. And that is my personal conviction for us and for this church. They harvested crops and we make money. But the leaders, the, the Levites, the priest, and the ministry of that day was dependent upon the people's obedience to give. And I told you just a couple of weeks ago, the ministry that happens at this church is a direct reflection of the generosity of this church. The ministry that takes place through New Hope Fellowship Incorporated is a direct reflection of the generosity of the people that make up that entity. And so, as you can see, you are a very generous people. But I'm asking you to not stop. And I'm asking some of you to believe and to just let God speak to you, convict you and lead you in consistent and, I believe, systematic giving. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. I'll keep reading it, but I want to pause right there. I want you to understand this is not a money-hungry preacher thing. You can give exponentially more this Sunday or next Sunday in one offering, and my salary is not going to increase because of it. Because we have 10 men that oversee every dime we spend every month of the year. And then every month of the year, if you become an official voting member of this church, you have a say and a question and a comment and the right to come to that annual business meeting and see every dime that they approved. 
I'm not allowed to give myself a raise. I'm not allowed to give them a raise without asking and without it being approved. So when you sow into this place, you are sowing into oversight of what God has envisioned for this community, this state, this nation, this world, and this staff. And so I'm not asking you to give because it's a Chris thing. This is a God thing. Listen, I'm not after your money. I'm not. I'm really not. I promise. I am not after your money. Hear me. Hear me. I'm just trying to convince you to give it back to God. If I believe that he gave it to me and the only reason that I have anything is because of him, I'm not trying to convince you to give me your money. I am attempting to convince you that it is a biblical conviction that we should give back to God with the first fruits of all of your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your produce, all of your finances, all of your resources. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Nay, that is a big deal in this culture. Okay? <laughs> It's holiness. And, I, and just segue, side note, I don't know what kind of wine that is for sure. I got some opinions on that. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, I'm abstinent from strong drink and from wine. Uh, not because I believe that it'll send you to hell. But I do believe that Jesus has a cup for me sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want the next time that I have a sip to be the newest, purest, freshest, most fulfilling wine. I want it to last me the rest of eternity. And I don't need anything that the world has to offer in order to enjoy what God is preparing for me. And so that's why I believe what I believe about the things that we say. So if you want to justify it and miss out on what he has for you, it may not be as good as it could have been if you acquire taste for things that you weren't created for. I'm just saying, some believe... Some believe that the tithe in the Old Testament, this happened two or three times a year. And so, well, Chris, that only makes sense that actually uh, the tithe, the 10% of the first fruit of the crop, it happened two or three times a year. And there was actually an additional portion that should be given along with the tithe. So the tithe would have actually been 20% or 30, 23 to 33%, depending on whether it happened two or three times a year. Well, listen, guys, I, I love that idea, except for mathematically, it's ignorant. Because I don't get to increase my percentage of how much I give every time I make some more money. In other words, just because I tied last Sunday off of 10% of that crop, it doesn't mean when I tied 10% the next week of the next crop, I just gave 20% and then 30% and 40%. And last year, I gave 290% of my crops. That's not how math works. So that's not, for me, a viable justification. God says, give the first fruit because the first fruit belongs to him. I know the New Testament says they sold all their possessions. And if you want to do that, we are for you. I'm just saying. Agree with you completely. And I know that the New Testament says 
that we should only give as God purposes in our heart. But the scripture also says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if we want to increase our faith, somebody's got to speak up because they can't know about a God in which they have not heard and they won't hear if somebody doesn't say something. So I want to inspire your faith in conviction and in accordance with the word of God so that our finances can be in line. The tithe in this house, in this church, for me, it is very simply the first of our finances. Because you can't learn how to give it all until you learn how to consistently give some. And when you work on that, God will stretch you. He will call you to give in an offering above and beyond just what is required. He may call some of you to empty everything that you have, only keep what you need and take it to a church that you're not even going to stay in. Hi, I'm Chris, and this is my wife, Megan Fry. Why are we doing this? And God said, because I've got a church with no debt that needs a building for more people to be saved and filled and healed and delivered. And if you'll be obedient here, I'll bless you over here because I've got plans that you can't even see for people that you don't even know. But you'll never see it over there if you don't learn how to be obedient over here. And the tithe is the first of our finances. It's not the cost of admission to a great gospel show. It's not what you give in benevolence to someone in a bind. That belongs to God. If you want to give in benevolence, so give it. That's an offering above and beyond what God has asked for. And I personally believe required of. The tithe is not what you send to the TV preacher without naming any names. There's some that I like. There's some that I don't. If you want to do that, that's great. I've done that before, but that's above and beyond. The tithe belongs in the storehouse of your church where your family and your friends and your future are being fed. That is what I believe in my personal conviction. This is how we operate as a church. We give the first 10% of everything that you give back into missions. We can't have it. We can't touch it. And we will turn things off and sell things before we spend it on ourselves. That's how we operate. Give an offering wherever you want. But God says the tithe belongs in the house of God. You can argue with my scripture. Do we have that testimony ready? You can argue with my scripture. But you can't argue with my story. Listen to this testimony. We'll come back and close this morning. Around the age of 16, needing a car hit me and my mom very quickly. It was something we knew that needed to happen, but we both weren't sure on how it was going to. For about a year, there was a lot of back and forth about me getting a car and not getting one, and eventually it just became a very big frustration, frustration for the both of us. Around that same time, I got a job at Goodwill, and... I immediately thought about tithe and knew that it was something that I had to be faithful to God in. So in that, when I started tithing, I decided to stand on God's promises and reassure myself that He always provides for His children. Not even a month into having my job and tithing faithfully, I got a phone call saying that a car was purchased for me. But just like anyone else, I, ver I questioned it and was confused and asked why and who. But in that moment, I knew that it was God providing for me because I was faithful to Him. I know that my circumstances can't change God's promises, but His promises can change and break through my circumstances. For me, Jesus confirmed the tithe 
And I know the arguments against this. I've been through them all. I even asked the Lord to show me how he feels about it. And I know that there are others that feel differently. And that's okay. But for me, for Chris Fry, and because God has positioned me as the leader of this church, new hope, and because we are affiliated with the assemblies of God, the assemblies of God, we believe that Jesus confirmed the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus says again, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe. Like it's a given. It's just part of what you do. It's not an issue. It's not a sore subject. You're not going to leave the church because the pastor talked about it one Sunday. It's a sub point. That's why we make it a sub point. But it's still a point nonetheless. If it weren't a point, then Jesus wouldn't have said it. If it weren't a point, Jesus could have neglected it or Jesus could have corrected it, but he included it. For you tithe, mint and rue. Mm, I, I, I don't know if they meant the kind of rue that I'm meaning right now, but I just, I ain't had any. It's, it's going to happen. But anyways, rue and every herb, and watch this, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These ought to have been done without neglecting the others. See, I don't get mad. I don't get irritated when a preacher talks about money. When I go to a conference that I paid for and they receive an offering. I don't get mad if they ask me for money. I don't. I just ask God. God, okay, what do you want me to do? See, in our culture, money and materialism are a God. That's why when we talk about it, people get so easily offended. Because I'm offending your God. It offends us internally. Not knowing that I was receiving an offering a couple, or that we would receive an offering next Sunday and I would present it two weeks ago. I had another person who hears from the Lord and, and shares with me prophecies and and ask me to find places that they fit into service. This individual sent me this message confirming what God has laid on my heart and had no idea that I was going in that direction. She said, if money is a stumbling block in our hearts, and you'll know if it's a stumbling block if giving is a sensitive subject for you. I didn't say this, I'm just reading. We can... Never know true prosperity, which is freedom in all things, as long as money is a stumbling block. It holds our heart in bondage, and we do not have dominion over it. It has dominion over us. Last and final point this morning. We need to align ourselves with his body in every area. Yeah, sure, finances are one of those areas. And I could preach a whole series, and we've preached a series on generosity before, but you tithe, and you give, and you serve, and, and you should do those things. But you should never do those things and find so much substance in it that you neglect the rest. We need to align ourselves with his body. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb 
where Jesus was, where the body of Christ was, I found this extremely interesting, and I actually just discovered it this morning. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb in John chapter 20 where the body of Jesus was on the first day of the week. That was the day that she went. Where did she go? Where the body of Jesus was, where the body of Christ was. In verse 19 of John chapter 20, then the same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled. So Mary Magdalene went where the body was on the first day of the week, and the disciples assembled on the first day of the week. For fear of the Jews, it only happens when you're assembled. And Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. If she didn't go to the body, if they weren't assembled, they wouldn't have experienced the presence of Jesus in their midst the way that they did. If we will make God's house a priority this year, if we will give God back the first day of our week, I believe that God will begin to do things in your life that you've never seen him do. If church and attending services, assembling ourselves together, will no longer be an option but a first priority, then God will begin to reveal himself in ways that he's never revealed himself before. Jacob in the Old Testament saw a ladder, the angels of heaven ascending, and descending. And Jacob said, this place shall be called Bethel, the house of God, because there are things that you only get to see, you only get to experience. There is an in the midst presence that only takes place when you are in line with the body of Christ and assembled with that body. In my life, personally, there have been some things that only happened because I aligned myself with his body. The Bible says that one may be overcome and two can withstand, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. The scripture says that one can set a thousand to flight, but two can set 10,000 to flight. So this morning, as we close the service, I've got a declaration for you that I am 10,000 times stronger than I'm supposed to be. I'm a thousand times stronger in Christ, and I'm 10 times stronger whenever I grab the hand of somebody else, and I ask them to join me in the journey. I know that in Jesus, I'm a thousand times what I would have ever been, but with her, I'm 10 times stronger than I ever would have been with just him. You can look around in this room and just begin to multiply a thousand times 10. When you assemble yourselves together in the body of Christ on the first day of the week, Jesus steps into the midst and reveals himself for who he is and who he desires to be. He only does it in the assembly. Father, right now, I thank you, Lord, this morning that we have come to your house and we have assembled ourselves together. I know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, but there's something specific that happens when we assemble ourselves on the first day of the week. God, when we give you the first. So again, I pray this week, right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, that we would simply examine 
ask this question, God, in your heart, come on, just, just ask him, Lord, is there any area of my life where you're not first? Are you first in my time? Are you first in my abilities? Are you first in my day? Are you first in my week? Are you first in my finances, in my treasure? Or do I find more confidence in the source than I do the creator of the source? Father, move in this room right now. Convict our hearts. God, hold our hands and help us to align ourselves with you. Is there anybody in the room right now with nobody looking around who first and foremost may not know or may not have confidence in the fact that you're in line with Jesus? If I'm talking to you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray out loud with us. And for the first time or the first time in a long time, get back in line with Jesus this morning. See, before anything else happens, we got to get in line with him. Everything else that happens is dependent upon whether we are in line with him. So if we're not in line, it may be because we have sin in our lives. It may be because we have unforgiveness in our hearts. It may be our inability to love or our actions thus far. Those things are very simply, according to Scripture, called sin, and they separate you from God. And the wages of sin is death, but God gave you a gift that's available right now in this place, and his name is Jesus. The gift of God right now is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So if you, sitting right where you are, would like to align yourself back with Jesus because you know that you came in here today and you weren't in line, we're going to pray a prayer. And if you would like to be included in that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are and say, that's me, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, somebody, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Woo, praise the Lord. I see you in the back. Heaven is celebrating right now. I see you right here. I see you, young person. I see you. Praise God in his house this morning. The saints should be excited in their heart. Lord, we thank you for all of these who are being honest with you, but more importantly, being honest with themselves. So Father, right now, I pray just as you stepped into the room with the disciples that were, I pray you would step into the room with the disciples that can be. Church, we would confess with our mouth right now the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart Then we can be saved. Come on, I want you to, if you raised your hand for this prayer this morning, I want you to say this with all of your heart. I want you to speak it out loud. And church, I want you to help them today. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me where I do not put you first. Take my life. Make it yours. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, and giving your life so that I can live. Be first in me. 
May I follow you with all of my heart. Everything I have, it belongs to you. Use it for your glory. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, praise him in his house this morning.